Good morning. You may not know this, but my wife Colleen and I are with you nearly every single Sunday. We live an hour and a half away near Philadelphia. It's kind of green country. I'm glad to see a little green in the house. First service, there was a lot of purple, ravens. I don't know how that gets here. Black and yellow, I can understand. Um, but we've been part of the this house and this community for a long time, so thank you for welcoming me today. In 1905, Teddy Roosevelt, who was, Corey, I got you, it's Corey, right? Last service, he was struggling to keep up with me, going up and down, so I'm going to hold this tight so I don't walk up and down. 1905, Teddy Roosevelt was about to ban the game of football for college and high school. You see, there were 157 critical injuries and 19 deaths directly as a result of how violent the game of football was. And so he got together with a whole lot of the college coaches and he said, I really need you to try harder. And often trying harder doesn't really change anything, and it didn't. And so they came up with the start of 1906 season with a new rule. And that new rule was they introduced the forward pass to football. I didn't know there was never a forward pass. But what they would do is hike the ball backwards, and somebody would just charge at this line of massive men and try and get through, and as a result, get injured and or die. And maybe once in a while, score a touchdown. And so they decided to change the rule or add a rule, the forward pass. Now, that doesn't sound like a big deal today, but back then, can you imagine adding this? That's not football. Are you, why would you do that? Now you're going to start throwing the ball around? And so the first game of the season, St. Louis University plays against Carroll College today, Carroll University. Not only is it the first game of the season with this new controversial rule, but coach Eddie Cotchams is brand new at St. Louis University. So it's his first game, new rule, everybody's watching. So St. Louis gets the ball, coach Cotchams gives the signal, Quarterback, Bradbury Robinson, not Robertson, Robinson, the lesser of the two. <laughs> Bradbury Robinson drops back, throws the ball, and the outstretched hands of Jack Schneider tips his fingers, falls with a thud to the ground. Now, if you know the rules, that doesn't sound like a big deal because you get a few more tries in football, but back then... That's not what happened. If you were throwing a pass and it was incomplete, it was an automatic turnover. So can you imagine? First play of the game, incomplete. Not only are all the fans going, what is this new coach doing? Like, why would he do that? Because immediately it was a turnover and Carroll College got the ball. Not only were the fans probably sighing, a deep sigh of sighings, but... Some of the players were probably rolling their eyes like, are you kidding? Why would you do that? 
You see, the new rule was new. And everybody liked to do things the way that they had done it before. Next time St. Louis gets the ball, Coach Eddie gives the signal. This time Bradbury drops back and reaches the outstretched hands again of Jack Schneider. And he runs and runs and runs into the end zone for the first completed pass and the first touchdown from a pass in football. They go on to win the game 22 to 0. They go on to win the season 11-0. They go on to outscore their opponents 407 to 11. How many of us are still playing by the old rules? And how many of us are going with a forward pass? How many churches are still playing by the old rules? And how many churches are throwing some forward passes? You see, until you have a change in perspective, your behavior will not change. A change in perspective always precedes a change in behavior. Isn't that a great story? On, I was going to say on Super Bowl Sunday, because... I'm feeling like we should be there, the, gr the green team, not that time of the year. So here we are, and I'm asking you to listen to the story, one of the greatest stories in the Bible, in my, my opinion, from Acts 8, about the eunuch that Philip meets in the desert. And I'm going to draw some parallels between Philip and the eunuch, which is going to talk about some of us being Philips and some of us being eunuchs, but mainly that the eunuchs are the next generation. And I want to draw some parallels there. So we're going to dive into the Word of God, which is awesome, right? The church is coming back to God's Word, which is spectacular. Come on. That's where it all is. So bear with me. I'm going to read quite a bunch. So this is, Saul was one of the witnesses, and he agreed completely with the killing of Stephen. Acts 8. This is 31 AD. Do you know that in 34 AD, Saul gets converted? So for three years, and at least another three years, there was chaos in the land because of Saul. A great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem. And all the believers, except the apostles, were scattered through the region of Judea and Samaria. Some devout men came and buried Stephen with great mourning. But Saul was going everywhere to destroy the church. He went from house to house, dragging out both men and women to throw them into prison. But the believers who were scattered preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. Philip, for example, went to the city of Samaria and told the people there about the Messiah. Crowds listened intently to Philip because they were eager to hear his message and see miraculous signs he did. Many evil spirits were cast out screaming as they left their victims, and many who had been paralyzed and lame were healed. So there was great joy in the city, as you would expect, right? A man named Simon had been a sorcerer there for many years, amazing the people of Samaria, and claiming to be someone great. Everyone from the least to the greatest spoke of him as the great one. 
the power of God. They listened, in t- they listened closely to him because for a long time he had astonished them, astounded them with his magic. But now the people believed Philip's message of good news concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. As a result, many men and women were baptized. Then Simon himself was baptized, believed and was baptized. I'm dropping down to 14. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard the people of Samaria had accepted God's message, they sent Peter and John there. And then there's a few scriptures that talk about that whole interaction with Simon and Peter and John. And then I'm going to skip down to 25, verse 25, for those of you who are following in the Bible, NLT version in particular. After testifying and preaching the word of the Lord in Samaria, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem. And they stopped, by, they stopped in many Samaritan villages along the way. As for Philip, an angel of the Lord said to him, Go south down the desert road that runs from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out and he met the treasurer of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of Ethiopia. The eunuch had gone to Jerusalem to worship and he was now returning. Seated in his carriage, he was reading aloud from the book of Isaiah. The Holy Spirit said to Philip, Go over and walk alongside the carriage. Philip ran over and heard the man reading from the prophet Isaiah. Philip asked, do you understand what you're reading? The man replied, how can I unless someone instruct me? And he urged Philip to come up into the carriage and sit with him. Sorry for that delayed sentence. The passage of scripture he'd been reading was this. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. He was humiliated and received no justice. Who can speak of his descendants for his life was taken from earth? The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, was the prophet talking about himself or someone else? So beginning with the same scripture, Philip told him the good news about Jesus. As they rode, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, there is some water. Why can't I be baptized? He ordered the carriage to stop and went down into the water and Philip baptized him. And when he came out of the water, the spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. The eunuch never saw him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Isn't that a great scripture? It is such a great story. So we're going to spend a little bit of time unpacking that. 31 AD. The church is being persecuted. September 2022, the church is being persecuted. Everywhere you look, there's not that much different in that context from then to today, right? Very little is different. In fact, very similar. Everywhere you look, the, everybody was scattered but the apostles. And so what you have is you have a, a select group of people that no matter what the circumstances of life are, they're not going to be shaken. It reminds me of the story in Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when they were thrown into the furnace. Will your God save you? Yes, he will, but even if he doesn't. Everybody was scattered, but the apostles were like, even if he doesn't, we will not be scattered. Isn't that great? Philip finds himself in Samaria. You know, that you guys have been going through the parables for those of you who attend church on a regular basis, that's what's been going on. I'm just filling those in who don't attend regularly. That's what's been going on the last couple of weeks. There's a parable about the Good Samaritan. There's a reason for that. 
The Samaritans were considered unclean. And here, Philip is in the midst of these unclean people. He goes from Jerusalem, the temple, and he ends up running away, being scattered, and finds himself there. And not only does he find himself there, but all of a sudden he's preaching the word, and people's lives are being changed. There are signs and wonders and miracles. There's testimony coming out of his time there as the Lord ministers through him and touches people's lives. So much so that Simon the sorcerer believes. And up until then, he was the man in Samaria. And all of a sudden, Philip, being scattered, finds himself there. And all of a sudden, people are listening to him. And then they send Peter and John, the apostles, from Jerusalem, guys, something big is happening in Samaria. You need to get down there. And they come alongside Philip in his work. Isn't that great? Things are going so well that all of a sudden, the big shots from headquarters are sent down to be with you. Isn't that great? What's really interesting is that in this context, the Samaritans can be like the next generation. They've been listening to lies from the sorcerer for so long and they believed it until they heard something authentic that was true and there was testimony. And all of a sudden, they believed Philip. This next generation, which is not just the next generation, by the way, that's all generations, are looking for something authentic. If you think that Philip's life is just this amazing life, if you look at what happened, first of all, in Acts 6, there's a they, they talk about the apostles getting everybody together and saying, do you know what? This is what's going on. But the believers rapidly multiplied there. Uh, at, sorry, there were rumblings of discontent. The Greek-speaking believers complained about the Hebrew-speaking believers saying that the widows were being discriminated against in the daily distribution of food. Guys, we have a problem here. We're looking after all these widows, and we're giving all the Hebrew widows food, but the Greek ones, uh, they're not getting so much. So what we're going to do is we're going to call all the believers together, and what we're going to do is appoint seven of them to take care of the Greeks, the Greek widows. Philip gets appointed. So here's Philip attending church, and they're like, Philip... We've got a job for you. And he's like, excellent. Can I preach? No, 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 no. What we want you to do is we want you to feed the Greek widows. Can I feed the Hebrew, widow, Hebrew widows? No, no, no. We got that covered. We got that covered. We need you to take care of the Greek ones. So he starts coming to church and all of a sudden he's given some responsibility, right? Kind of like here. This is his story of his life. Nothing going on. Okay, now I'm serving in church. I'm doing this. I'm helping. Next thing, he is scattered. Scattered is not walking calmly into the sunset. Scattered is grab your belongings and rush before you are caught and thrown into jail and or stoned like Stephen was. And he finds himself in the midst of an unclean people that parables are written about. That's not a chosen destination for most Hebrews. So here's his life. Look at it like my life, like your life. I'm doing okay, and all of a sudden I get this promotion at work, and then oh, all of a sudden everything breaks. Every, oh, I was going to say, well, hell breaks loose, but you can't say that in church. And everything goes poorly, and right? You can't say that, right? So I don't know. 
I'm from Philadelphia. You know? So all of a sudden, there he is in the midst of them. His life is going like this. He's been scattered. He has to leave home. He's in some foreign city. And then he's in the midst. That's me centering myself. Of a revival. Right? He's now preaching. He is the man. So much so that the big boys come and like, oh, good job, Philip. We're coming here to support you. And I mean that in a good way, not in a weird way. There they are. This, what I want you to see is that there are no qualifications required, just some obedience. Isn't that interesting? In the midst of probably the greatest revival of the time, in a place where you would least expect to see it. And there he is. So if the story stopped just there, it would be awesome, because he's got this life that's going like this, and in spite of his life going like this, God works. Doesn't matter what's going on today and or tomorrow. Your, your job is good, your job is bad. I can't make this payment. My job, my, my boss, my spouse, whatever it is, it doesn't really matter because God still shows up, right? But what's really great about this is that what happens next is Peter and John get sent back to Jerusalem. Could you imagine how much there was to do at the time in Samaria? I mean, you've got all these new Christians. We've got to, we've got to do collection, We've got to like, start a home group. We've got to start a church. All these things need to get done. And now they're being sent away. Because after they get sent away, the angel of the Lord says to Philip, go south down the desert road. And I can just imagine him saying, hey, maybe that's for you, Peter. Maybe that's for you, John. But they weren't there. So it's very clear who's being sent. You see, God, we already know, wanted him to encounter the eunuch. And he was starting to take all the obstacles and distractions away so that he could see clearly what was being asked of him. So here we go, right? One line in the scripture. So he goes down, he leaves this revival, and he goes down to the desert. I guarantee you that's not how it went. I guarantee you that there was four days, by the way, from Samaria through Jerusalem into the desert, I googled it. That's how long it'll take to walk by today's standards. A number of those days would have been spent, God, what are you doing? Did you not see what was going on in Samaria? I just got this promotion. I'm preaching now. Things are awesome. Now we, you want me to go where? Why? So those three days of process journey, I know God was busy working in his heart. And I'll show you why we know that. So he goes through Jerusalem into the desert. And when he gets into the desert, you know what's nice about the desert? There's nothing. And so he sees this chariot. And if you see anything in the desert, that's got to be exciting, right? Because you don't know why you're going. He didn't know why or where. He's just there. He sees the chariot. All of a sudden, there's some clarity because we know Holy Spirit system, go along, walk alongside. In the desert, there was no distractions. It was abundantly clear at that point why he was there. When Holy Spirit says, go alongside, he knew that's what he had to do. And you can see there was a change in perspective because he runs over to the chariot. In that day and age, in that culture, walking is what men did, not running. Something shifted in his heart on that three or four day journey. And when he saw what God had brought him there to do, he ran 
over to do it. How great is that? He didn't need a prophetic word. He had some real clarity. If you're longing for a prophetic word, that's amazing. Another way to know is go to the desert. Because you see what happened was when he left Samaria, he had to lay down and surrender everything. The bad, I'm being scattered, I'm being persecuted, I've been feeding the Greek widows, and the good. I'm head of this major revival, and things are really happening. My good job, my bad job, he laid it all down, my strengths, my weaknesses. We always want to lay down our weaknesses. How often do we lay down our strengths? He lays that all down, and next thing, He's in the midst of the desert, and it's abundantly clear why he's there. Let's take a quick aside. Let's look at this eunuch. In many, many commentaries, they'll talk about eunuchs that are serving in royalty or in palaces as being orphans. There's a reason for that. There's a logic behind that. Once you grow up in the palace and you find your place, we don't want some mom or dad or uncle claiming you and therefore claiming anything that's going on in the palace. We want this uncluttered relationship with you because you need to be here to work. Not only that, but then he's made a eunuch. He's castrated, which would have been an incredible experience. Ooh, experience is not a great word for that, right? He grows up, and as the story goes, we know that he rose up through the ranks. And so from an, a, a, an earthly perspective, he accomplished much. He climbed the corporate ladder to the degree where he was an excessively wealthy man, is excessively accomplished by the world's standards. But yet, he still decides to take a 40-day journey from modern-day Khartoum to Jerusalem and back. Around 40 days, depending on how many days he spent in Jerusalem, between 40 and 50 days. That is a significant commitment. And what was his objective? to fill this gap in his heart, this void that was in his heart. He had everything by earthly standards, but he was fatherless. And even if he had parents, we know that he was fatherless this way. He was figuring out and struggling with his, his identity, and what he had gone through was part of that journey. Let me just remind you, for those of you who don't know, or those of you who do know, I'm reminding you, for those of you who don't know, I'm telling you, that those are two things that mark this next generation more than any other generation. We have a generation that is fatherless and don't know their identity. If you look at suicide, depression, loneliness, those are all in the space of trying to fill that gap that was in his heart. A 40 or 50 day journey, can you imagine asking the queen for 50 days leave? That's kind of a big deal. He travels all the way to Jerusalem. When he gets there, a couple of things would have happened. One, he's not allowed into the temple. If you read the word, he wouldn't have been allowed into the temple because he's a eunuch. So he goes all the way there to try and get some answers, only to have the door closed. He was also a Cushite, which means he was black. And there was probably very few Cushites in Jerusalem, but probably even more so, less Cushites knocking on the temple's door trying to get in. Especially someone like him that was of incredibly high stature. 
So he goes through this journey, gets there to try and get answers to these questions that he's been carrying for so long that are based out of fatherlessness and identity and doesn't get those answers. He's on his way back and we know he doesn't get the answers because he asks Philip to explain to him. We also see that he has a scroll. Do you know that there were no libraries at the time or certainly not libraries that people could go to and get a book? So that scroll, there could have only been a few of those in the world. He purchased a scroll which would have cost a lot of money and it was in Greek which he read. Really educated man. And that talks about a generation that is really plugged in, switched on, knows what's going on in the world, but yet still has this hunger, this emptiness, this hole in their hearts. By all worldly standards, he had tried everything, but still would take this journey to try and figure out what is missing in my life. When Philip comes alongside him, there's something else you have to recognize here. The eunuch invites him up to sit with him. We have to have to have permission to speak into somebody's life if we want it to be meaningful, your own children included. Without permission, it doesn't go the same way. And listen to this. He got permission to come up alongside the eunuch, but it's because the eunuch knew he had something to give him. He didn't just come along for the ride. He wasn't hitchhiking. He had something to give. It's called upskill. He was about to upskill the eunuch, and the eunuch knew it. That's why he got permission to come alongside him. If we want to come alongside the next generation, we have to have something to give them. It's a really important part of this journey. The first thing they start doing is talking about the scriptures. And the one part it starts in verse 33, he says, who's he speaking about? And I can see he was humiliated and received no justice. Who can speak of his descendants? The eunuch was humiliated. He had no descendants. And so already as they're reading that scripture, I can imagine him identifying with some of that. And if you go on, which is what they would have done, right, into Isaiah 56. Ah, there we go. Sorry, I'm looking over there for where it is. I'm trying to find it in my Bible, forgive me. Do you guys know what Isaiah 56 says? I'll tell you. I'm glad you asked. And do not let the eunuch say, I am a dried up tree with no children and no future. For this is what the Lord says, I will bless those eunuchs who keep my Sabbath days holy. So he's trying to discover who he is, the chances are him and Philip went from verse, uh, chapter 53 to 56 and all of a sudden there's revelation that touches his heart. God knows who I am personally as a eunuch. Wouldn't that have been spectacular? And you know why it was spectacular? Because the second they came across water, he wanted to repent and be baptized. Something had shifted in the eunuch's heart. So all of a sudden, that entire journey that he had been on 
meant something. Imagine if church services looked like this. They started in the Word, Isaiah 53. They spent time in the Word, and all of a sudden there was revelation. Revelation led to repentance. Repentance always ushers in humility because you realize what you've done and how grateful you are that you can be clean. And as soon as repentance and humility were in the place, the kingdom of heaven comes crashing in with one of the coolest miracles we've seen. He comes out of the water, Philip is gone, and he goes on rejoicing. And at that point, praise and worship happens. Imagine that, that we praise and worship because of what the word has spoken to us, because of the revelation in the word, because of our humility and our repentance, and that causes us to praise and worship. Not praise and worshiping to get ready to hear the word. And it's not a, a knock on the, today's church. But here's what we do know. Philip did not meet the eunuch in Jerusalem, and God could have coordinated that. He met him in the desert. And there's a really good chance that if we're going after a generation of eunuchs, we're probably not going to find them in Jerusalem at the church. Take a moment to think about that. You see, what we're doing is we're moving from hearing to doing. It's spectacular to be part of a body, and it's spectacular to be part of a church. But part of our call is to go after the next generation or the eunuchs, because it's not just the next generation that make up the eunuchs, by the way. There's many, gen all generations have eunuchs you probably are not going to find them in Jerusalem at the temple. He goes on to bring the word to Africa, establish the church, and Africa starts to be saved. One man took the word into Africa. We're almost done. Okay, so let me quickly summarize that for you because it's a great story. This day and age, we can see the eunuchs out there, and God is desperately going after them. Look at this entire story, how he coordinated it so that Philip could meet the eunuch in the desert. The eunuch was that important that God took away all the distractions so that he could see clearly no prophetic word was needed. He could see clearly what his purpose was there. Philip was just an ordinary guy going through the ups and downs of life, just like all of us, right? But he took the time to lay it down, to surrender, and it's amazing what happened in the surrender. He goes all the way into the desert for one person. Philip, I'm not saying this, Philip, I'm calling you Philip. You're just asked to go after one person. Not an entire church, not an entire nation, not an entire county. One person. And let me just tell you why there's an urgency. Because can you imagine this? Can you imagine the eunuch goes all the way to Jerusalem, all the way back to Khartoum, and doesn't encounter Philip? He's just had the door slammed in his face in Jerusalem. He hasn't got answers to all the questions that, he's, that are really burning in his heart. He gets back to where he's from, where he's done well climbing the ladder. 
I would wager that there was a uh, Simon the sorcerer waiting to talk to him. And that just like in Samaria, where they all believed Simon the sorcerer, he would then start to believe Simon the sorcerer. There's a real urgency about going after this generation. Look around you, what's going on in the world? Adam said it. The best way to change what's going on is to have more Christians. So let's close our eyes. I want you to do one thing. As we pray, all I want you to do is ask God if you're a Philip. Because he'll tell you. I know there's some eunuchs here. I know there's some Philips here. I know there's some apostles here. All great. If you're a Philip, no qualifications required. But what is required is action. He had to go from Samaria to the desert. He had to walk and take some steps. So if you believe that you're a Philip, and I believe there's a lot of you here that are Philips, just remember, one eunuch at a time. Lord, we just pray right now that your word would sink deep into our hearts, that you would show us who we are in you first and foremost. Because when we understand that, everything else becomes clear. And Father, I pray that not only would we do the work you've called us to do in Jerusalem, in the temple, but that we would lay down our lives and go into the desert for even just one. We know how desperately you are after this generation because they haven't had the same opportunities and exposure to who you are in so, so many ways. But that's okay, Lord, because we have Philip's and those Philips that are here today and around the world will go after this next generation. And as we do, we know that you will come alongside. And so, Father, we just release that word over this house, that this will be a house of Philips, that will go after those that matter so much to you. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm just going to say this in closing. The billion soul harvest that some of you might have heard about is going to come from the next generation. It's going to come out of what the next generation does. The eunuch went to Africa and started a church. But it's going to take Phillips to come alongside the eunuchs. It's going to take the older, other generations to come alongside the next generation. You have a significant role to play just from a generational perspective. Just remember, there are Simons everywhere. And unless there's an authentic word being shared by a Philip, how will they know? How will they know? Last thing I want to say to you is if you believe you're a Philip, you don't have to go into the desert alone. You're part of a house. You're part of a community. You're part of a family. Here's what has to happen. You have to tell somebody that you are going on a Philip journey so that they can come alongside you pray with you, encourage you, and hold you accountable. Otherwise, next week when Adam tells you about another parable, you'll forget that you've got a calling to be a Philip. 
and the eunuch may well just pass through the desert and end up back in Ethiopia without having encountered someone like you. It's a heavy thing, but it's an amazing thing because Philip did not need any qualifications and neither do you. In fact, that's how God often works best. Thank you. One of the things that um, Steve was referring to in the first service, we, we had mentioned that uh, how many of you would like the world to have Christian values? Wouldn't that be great? Well, they, they can't because they're the world. Does that make sense? And, and according to the word, like they have a darkened heart, a futile mind, and it's only getting worse over time. And what, what we mentioned in the first service is that how, if you want the world to have Christian values, the world has to become Christian. And the only way that it's going to become Christian is if we go after one at a time and help them understand who the Holy Spirit is, what he wants to do in their life, and they begin to follow Jesus, receive the Holy Spirit, then their mind can be transformed. But we're never going to change the world's mind apart from Christ. You can't renew someone's mind without the Spirit. So I just want to encourage you guys. There's a place where um, politically and like things are going to get a lot more nasty than they are now, but please don't expect the world to think like a Christian. They have to know Christ. So our job isn't to convince the world that they need to have better values. Our job is to introduce Christ to the world so that they can become Christian. Amen? Amen. Can we just thank Steve again for coming? All right. Hey, bless you guys, and uh, have a great Sunday. Thanks for watching. We hope today's message was encouraging and convicting. If you have any general questions for us, feel free to email us at info at praiseyork.com. If you'd like to sow into the Ministry of Praise, visit praiseyork.com give, and be sure to like our Facebook page and subscribe to our YouTube channel to stay up to date with happenings here at Praise.